Um, I have a really simple message that I want to preach this morning, um, and, and it's this. The worship has kind of led up to it because I got to pick the songs. Um, and uh, and here's, what I, here's what I want to ask you this morning is, uh, is, do you love the Lord? Like, do you love him? Do you love him with all your heart? Are you in love with Jesus? Does he occupy that place in your heart? We just sang, like, you are everything my heart wants, everything my heart wants. My heart runs after you. But is that, is that, is that true? Do you love the Lord? If you do love him, how much do you love him? Where's the, where's the level of your love at? And it seems like every time I've got up to speak lately, I've ended up speaking on some aspect of the love of God. Spoke all around the place in, in all sorts of different aspects, but uh, in different ways. We've, we've spoke over the last couple of weeks, months. If you've been on any sort of a journey with us here in the church, I hope that you've come to notice that God loves you. Yeah? God, lo- God is crazy about you. God created you. God loves you passionately. In Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus, God loves you perfectly this morning. He loves you like without any reservation that God absolutely loves you this morning. And then we looked at other aspects of love. We looked at, at how um, the definition of what it kind of is to be a Christian or the, the, the fruit of it or the way that people should recognize us as Christians, Jesus says is what? If you, if you love one another. So we've got this way God loves us and we've got this other responsibility that we're meant to, to love each other and love each other in crazy ways, love each other in sacrificial ways, love each other in ways that only make sense if we've been united in Jesus so that it, it tells the truth of the gospel, that people see the way we love each other and they're like, the only, the only way that can make sense is if they've been united in some way, in some way that, 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 that doesn't make sense in the world outside of Jesus, that our unity becomes a, a reflection of his, of his victory, that our, our, our oneness becomes a witness to the world. So we've got that God loves us. We've got we're meant to love other people. And even Eddie Gregory spoke a couple of weeks back, and when he spoke, he brought out this aspect of that we're meant to love ourselves. And I'll admit, initially when he was like saying, right, I'm going to tell you that you need to love yourselves. I was like, no, no, we need to not love ourselves. We need to sacrifice ourselves on behalf of others or whatever. And my, my theological brain was like turning and turning until he got to it. And his point was this. He's like, if you don't love yourself the way that God loves you, then you'll never be able to love other people. Unless you're able to see yourself the way that God sees you, you'll never be able to love other people. So it's this extension again of the way God loves you. So we've got this aspect. We've got God loving us this way. We've got us loving ourselves out of that and us loving other people. But the aspect that I haven't really tended to look at or that we've only looked at kind of tangentially is the other aspect. The responsibility for us to actually to love God. And by now you should know, because we've preached it a million times, that to love God is the greatest commandment that's in the Bible. You know the story, Jesus is asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies this up on the screen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment, the greatest measure of whether you're living the Christian life. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? Forget every other commandment. Forget commandments about giving. Forget obedience. Forget all the ways that it works out in our life. First and foremost, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? Now, in some way, when I say that to you this morning, you're like, yeah, Rob, I love him. Yeah, I get it. I love him. We sang the song there. I felt like a, a buzz. Like I felt some sort of like, like Holy Spirit goosebump stuff when we sang that, that song about loving him. In that moment, a few moments ago, I know I was loving God. Every, every other distraction was gone. And I was loving God with all my heart. I was loving him with all my soul. My mind was focused on him in those moments. But what about the moments when you leave here? What about Wednesday morning slumps and work? What about the end of the week when you're wrecked on a Friday? What about Saturdays lying in in the mornings? Do you still love the Lord with all your heart? 
Do you love him with all your soul? Do you love him with all your mind? That means with your whole existence, like with all your heart, means with every bit of your passion, every bit of passion you can muster up. Do you love God that way? All your soul means with every like bit of energy of your being, do you love God? With every thought that's within you, that's what it means, with all your mind, with every thought that's within you, do you love the Lord your God? Your whole life, your whole existence should be something that shouts and proclaims, I love you, Lord. And if it's the most important, if it's the greatest commandment, then I think it's worthwhile asking ourselves this morning, do I love God? Do I love him that way? Do I love him to that extent? Do I love him like that? What does that even look like to love the Lord in that way? Is that even possible? Do I have the capacity to love God that way? And the thing is that we need to because it's a, it's a command, He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, that's a strange word, a commandment, isn't it, when we talk about love? Like, we would assume that love has to be something that's like, you can't command love. I can't, can't, if I was in some sort of, like, position of authority over you, where where you had to do what I say, like, for me to command you to love me is like a step, it's like a step too far, yeah? It's a step beyond what you can ask somebody to do. Like, someone has to voluntarily do that. Say Say I was your boss. Say... Your old boss gets the, gets, the, gets the sack, and I show up on Monday morning. I'm your boss in your workplace, and I call you into my office, and I'm like, okay, you already know what your responsibilities are, what it is that you're meant to do day to day, but I want to add one other responsibility to that, and that's to come before everything else. Here's what you have to do. You have to love me with all your heart, and you have to love me with all your soul, and you have to love me with all of your mind. What would you, what would you think? How would you react? Like, you'd, probably, you'd rightly, like, get onto your union or do me for some kind of harassment or something, yeah? Like, that, that, that we, can't, we can't command love. We can't, we can't require it of people. It has to be something that's, that's kind of given. You can't ask for it. You can't demand it. You can't make me love you. And so, the idea of, of, of God commanding something that can only be given freely seems strange to us. And I think the point is that it's meant to seem strange to us. It's not meant to be commonplace. We're meant to read that and not go, yeah, I've got that covered. I love God. Meaning he has some of my affection or I've given my life to him. We're meant to read that and see, look at that, the standard that is set so high there. I'm meant to love him with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my mind. It's meant to stand out as stark to us, as strange to us. It's meant to stop us in our tracks and be like, oh, wait a minute. Like I have to love God with every fiber of my being. Like, that's what he wants from me. I need, to, I need to stop and think about that. Can I, I mean, can I even do that? That's not something I, I add on to my life. When I become a Christian, if this is what it means, that's not something that you just add on to your life. I continue doing everything else, and I also have some love for God. Now, it like reorients everything. It changes everything. And what I'd like to explore this morning is why does God command us to love him that way? And then why is it the greatest commandment? Why is it the most important thing? And I think the first thing that we see from it is that it's your heart that matters to God, guys. And some of us need to hear that this morning. It's your heart that matters to God. There's a time when, uh, when um, Prophet Samuel was, was, was meant to pick a king for Israel. And he goes and he looks at all of David's brothers. You know the story. And they're all like strong, good-looking, handsome, like leaders of men. And then there's David who's out in the field. And, and the Lord directs Samuel to pick David, this young guy, who's like the last person that would be picked. And, uh, and the verse that we get from it, that you'll all know, it says that uh, man looks at the outside of the person, but the Lord looks at what? At the, at the heart. That God looks at our heart, that he doesn't necessarily look at the things that we're doing, he doesn't necessarily look at our stature, our education, our capabilities, our capacities, whatever, because they all come from him anyway. No, instead he looks at, 
at our heart? Where's the center of our will? What's our will bent towards? What are we, what are we running after like we sang this morning? Our hearts really running after him or are they running after something else? That's what the Lord actually said to David. What is he? David is a man after my own heart. He's a man whose heart was after God. My heart runs after you. He got this thing. And God sees the heart. God has the capacity to see our heart. And to some of us, that's great news because you're living life and you're going after God and things don't seem to be working out or things seem to be going wrong or you're trying and you're failing. But you need to know this morning that God looks at your heart. And God sees if your heart is right and God sees that you're after him and God sees the things that you're trying. And then to some of us, that's bad news because on the outside, everything looks good and we have the applause and we have the approval of man, but we know deep down our hearts are messed up. We know that our motivations are wrong. We know that we have this facade we put up and we pretend everything's going good and we come along to church and we wear our best clothes and we wear our best perfume and we give our smiles and our hellos and our fakeness and then we go away and our hearts are broken and they're messed up and we have this facade. And you want to hear this morning, God sees your heart. He sees it. And his heart breaks if your heart is broken in that way. The Lord looks to your heart this morning because the heart is what matters. It's the heart of the matter. The heart is who you are. Forget what you see. Forget what you portray to the world. The heart is what you think and what you feel when you're alone. The heart is who you are in secret. The heart is the real you. God is saying that it's you deep down. It's who you are deep down that matters most to him. It's what's going on at the deepest recesses of your being that matters most to him. And that you'll be your best at his creation when deep down your heart is connected to him, when under all your talk and under all your act- actions and all under all your motivations even, and your beliefs, there's a, there's a love for God. Why is that? Why does God want love for him to be at the center of our hearts? Can I just tell you, first of all, like, it's not because he needs it. God is completely satisfied. God is, exists in three persons who, with whom exists like perfect love. God is completely satisfied in showing and receiving love just within the Godhead. He doesn't need humanity to fill some need of his. This command to love him isn't a needy God going, love me, love me, love me, like crying out like he needs something from us. So we need to get rid of that perspective and say, well, why else then would he command us to love him? Because if it's not God who occupies the center part of your heart, something else will. And that something else will destroy you. Whatever it is, maybe deep down there's some, like, there's some ambition. Maybe deep down there's something you feel you need to prove. That's going to drive you and ultimately that's going to destroy you. Maybe deep down in your heart, you know, like when I get down to the deepest level, there's just some bitterness there. There's, there's some hurt there. Stuff I've been through, Rob, it's stuff that shaped me like when I go, I don't go there because when I go there, it hurts. Deep down in your heart, there's something that, that, that's, that's affecting you. And your life is going to look miserable. Why? Because everything flows from the heart. Your life flows from the inside out. We try and change things from the outside in, but this is what, this is what the Word teaches us, that it's, it's our hearts that direct our lives. It's our heart that direct our speech. It's our hearts that direct our actions. And ultimately, whatever is inside you is what's going to come out of you. So God's command is a command of love to us that says, I don't want there to be anything inside you that ruins your life. I don't want the center of your motivation, the center of what, what, what your life flows out of to be anything but, but me because it was made to be me. You were made for relationship with me. And yeah, the world is messed up. And yeah, life has placed a load of other things right in there. But we need to dig those out and we need to replace them with love for me because it's only love for me that's going to flow into the kind of life that you desire to live right now. You're living a life that's full of frustration. You're living a life that's full of stress, anxiety, that's full of striving, that's full of bitterness, hurt. If it's bitterness, hurt, and jealousy, 
jealousy and anger and all those sorts of things that are deep in your heart, guess what's going to come out into the overflow of your life? Bitterness, hurt, and jealousy, and anger. It's what you're going to produce. And we get stuck in this world where our bitterness and hurt and jealousy and anger becomes that in other people. And this cycle goes around and around and around again until God says, no, something needs to change. The alignment of your heart needs to change. You need me in there. That the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength is an incredible act of grace of God saying, I can occupy that space in your heart. And it's so important that I'm going to command you to do it. I'm not going to advise you to do it. This is the number one important thing that you need to do in your life. You need to get rid of all that other crap and you need to replace it with me. It needs to be replaced with love for God because that's the only thing that's going to set you free in the long term. That's the only thing that's going to enable you to live the life that I created you to live in the long term. As if my love is at the center of your life. And it's an offer by him to put it there. The condition of your heart matters most to God because it's going to dictate what your life looks like. God loves you too much for him to be okay with anything else dictating that in your life. He loves you too much for anything else to be dictating that. That's why the command exists. Not because God needs you to love God, but because you need you to love God. The command to love him completely is, is, is required by his complete love for you. It's a reflection of his complete love for you, that he won't leave you where you're at. He's not some needy God who needs your love. He recognizes you need me at the center of your heart. And he commands us to do that. Our hearts need to be full of love for God. Love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. Why? Because if you love him with all of that, then you've driven out everything else. There's no space for any of the other stuff that overflows into lives that are short of what he has for us. That's why it's a command. Not because need, he needs it, but because we need it. And also, within this command, if you think about it, there's this incredible offer. Because to love someone, guys, to love someone, you have to know them. Like, I, can, I, can, I, I try and tell people I love them as much as I can, right? And sometimes it, uh, sometimes it holds weight, like I, mean, like I love your man, I love your brother, I love your sister or whatever. Um, and sometimes it's just like a greeting, right? But, uh, but, but, but it only becomes real love when it's actually cost me something, yeah? It's only, it's only words until it costs me something. It's only words until I know a person. Like, I can't really say I love you. I can say I hold nothing against you, maybe that's what it means, or, or I'd be willing to love you, or, or I accept you, might be what we mean. But, but it's not really love until it's cost me something. Until, until I've got to the point where I know you well enough that, uh, that, um, that you're annoying me, I know I still need to love you. Or I'm annoying you, and I, you still need to love or, 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 or you've disappointed me, and I choose to love you. Or you've let me down, and I choose to love you. Or you've betrayed me, and I choose to love you. It only really becomes love when it costs us something. Like when we fall in love, even with somebody who, who, who that ends up being our spouse or whatever. Like, yeah, there's an emotional thing at the beginning, but it's like the more you get to know someone, the more capacity you have to actually love them. So, so the amount you can know somebody and the amount that you can love them, I, I'd say are directly connected, yeah? The more, the more you can know someone, the more opportunity you have to love them, yeah? Now, if we're meant to, if God commands us to love him with all of our heart, to love him with all of our mind, to love him with all of our souls, then that means, on the other hand, he's offering that we can know him with all of our hearts. We can know him with all of our minds. We can know him with all of our souls. Do you see what, what an invitation that is? That's the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, who holds things, the whole world and the cosmos together in the palm of his hand is saying, I want you to know me. You can know me. 
Like you can know me intimately. To, to, to call you to love me without calling you to know me won't work. You can know me. The more you know someone, the more you can love them. If God wants us to love him at this level, then he's calling us to know him at that level. And usually, right, there's a cost for that kind of love, like I said, but there, there is a cost for us to love God, but it's on God's behalf. And the beauty of the gospel is that it tells us that Jesus Christ paid that cost for God to be able to love us. The difference between our relationship with him and our relationship with others is that all the cost for that love was borne by Jesus on the cross. The same Jesus who said, this is the greatest commandment, is the one who fulfills it for us and pays the ultimate cost of love. The same one who was abused and mocked and belittled and humiliated, tortured, pierced, murdered to bear the cost of loving me. That's what love cost him. That God loves us so much that he wants us to love him in return. And that's the flow of it. It starts with him. Like in 1 John 4.10, John says this. This is love. Not that, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that we loved God in the first instance, but that he, he loved us. And he loved us so much he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins he bears all the cost of that love relationship so that we can know him and love him with all our hearts with all our souls and all our strength the more we get to know him the more we get the joy of loving him in his perfection because he's perfect he's infinitely lovable and that and that we sang this morning on the way out like uh patrice and i had spirit radio on and there was like that uh here i am to worship here i am to bow down here i am to say that you're my god you're altogether lovely is the line that, that, that struck out. Altogether lovable. Like he's altogether lovable, which makes him sound warm and cuddly. He's not. He's terrifying and awesome, right? But at the same stage, he says, you can love me. At the same stage, he says, what I don't want, I don't want you to fear me. I don't want you to tremble. I don't want you to run away from me. I want you to come into my awesome presence and know me in all my fullness so that you can love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength, with all your mind. And I'm going to bear the cost for that love so that we can get to love, you can get to love me in return, and that's, that's what it comes down to, guys. Do you love the Lord? How much do you love him? Do you love God this morning? That's the measure of whether all, any of this makes sense. It's the measure of, of whether we're just going through the motions and playing religion here, and, and it's all words. Or in our hearts, do we love God? I was talking to Penny during the week. She asked me some questions, bringing her down to drama class. And, uh, and, uh, and for some reason, in two weeks from now in her, in her school, it's Mary week for some reason. Apparently that's a thing in Catholic schools, right? And it's a week dedicated to Mary. And she's like, that, what's, what's that? What am I allowed to do? She knows kind of somewhere, am I meant to pray to Mary? Am I, am I not meant to? Like she's still figuring that stuff out. And so she's asking, can I pray to Mary and whatever? And, uh, and then she asks some other questions. The answer to that is no, by the way, right? Just so we put it out there. Uh, but but, but she, she, uh, she, she asked me like, uh, so... Uh, Dad, can you, tell me some other, can you tell me some other things about our faith, about what we believe, our religion or our church, she said, that's different than other church? And, uh, and she came out with this question. She says, sure, doesn't Jesus, Jesus loves everybody, doesn't he? Jesus loves everyone, all religions. And I had to think for a while, and I'm like, yeah, Jesus does love everybody, Penny, but, uh, but not everybody loves Jesus. And that's the difference. For God so loves the world that he sends his son. Yeah, he loves the world and he sends his son. What's the next thing? So that whosoever believes in him, it's whoever returns that love to him. They get to be called children of God. They get to enter into eternal life today. 
Yeah, God loves us and he pours out his love and he loves the world and he's passionate about this thing he made. But what God is looking for is people who love him in return. The choice that we get to go to have is to, is to be able to love God in return because of the sacrifice of his love and what we see in his son. And this is all over the word. When you, when you start to read the word with these eyes, it's just this is a, an invitation to, to love God. Peter, well, you know when Peter fails Jesus? You know when like, he betrays him? Like, at right at the very moment where you think Jesus needs his friends, Peter like, backs away and he betrays him to like, a little girl. He's like, I wasn't, I wasn't with him. He's like, afraid and he kind of leaves him. And Jesus like, is crucified. Jesus raises from the dead and he appears to Peter. And what does he ask Peter? Like Three times in a row he just says to him, Peter, do you, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Again, like, Peter, do you love me? And the way he restores him, the way he brings him back into the fold, the way he, he, he helps Peter get over that guilt and that shame or whatever, is just by asking him, Peter, like, where's your heart, Dad? Yeah, yeah, you messed up. I get that you messed up. I get, I get that fear got in the way. I get that, that this life has, it hasn't looked like the way that you would have planned for it to look. Even Peter at one stage wanted to go and war. He's like the guy who pulled out a sword and was going to attack people to protect Jesus. And then he ends up denying him. He's like, God, Jesus knows where Peter's heart is at. And the way he restores him is just asking him and reminding him, getting past all the shame, getting past the guilt, getting past the failure, and being like at the core of it, Peter, who are you? Who do you love? Peter's like, yeah, I love you, Lord. He asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. It's like, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. He restores him by getting to the heart of the matter. And what would God say to your heart? Do you love him this morning? Do you love him? I mean, do you, do you love him? And if that sounds like something that it's hard to, to stir up, like how do, I, how do I start loving God? Like the beauty of this is that it, it comes from him in the first place. That the, the capacity, the desire, the will to, to love God is a, is a gift from him. That it, that it comes from, like in my life. So guys, I, I've been a Christian my whole life. I, I remember at like four years old, I remember like walking, like, I, like trying to balance on this little, uh, this little curb that was outside my front garden and balancing and walking back and forth and thinking about, about the Lord and then going into my kitchen table and, uh, and asking my mom and dad what this stuff was all about and, uh, and them leading me to Jesus them asking me to, like, like, here's how you pray. Here's how you ask the Lord into your heart. Here's how you give your life to God. And I can honestly say that since for the rest of my life, for the whole of my life, since I was four years old, like that, that I've had this heart for God. That there's, there's been something in me that, that, that's just like, um, that loves him. Like, has that been cold at times? Of course it has. Has that always looked perfect? Of course it hasn't. Has there been times like when, I, when I went different directions where that kind of waned? Yeah, but, but, but always there was something in me that said, like, love God. God loves you. Love God. There was always this drive in me. And the only way I can describe that is that I was given a new heart at that point. Like that, 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 and I describe it because that's the way the Bible describes it. There was this prophet called Ezekiel who lived a long time before Jesus. And he lived at this time uh, under an old covenant between God and man, an old way of interacting. But he prophesied about days that would come when our hearts would be changed, not by law, not by obedience, not by doing all the stuff on the surface or whatever, but that something would change deep within us that would turn our hearts towards God that would cause us to love him that would cause us to know him and he says this in Ezekiel 36 he says I will give you a new heart this is God speaking about what he's going to do in Jesus I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep 
my laws. Yeah, there's stuff in there about obedience. Yeah, there's stuff in there about following God's laws. But how does it start? It starts from, from our heart. It works from the inside out. God is promising that a day is going to come where you're not just going to have this heart to stone or this heart that just needs to be obedient to rules in order to please God. But something is going to change deep inside you. Something's going to change from the inside out. I'm going to give you a new heart. And we believe and know and I've experienced that that's what happens when we've given our hearts to Jesus. That is, we've been replaced from the inside out. Now there's this source of love that either I can ignore or I can feed, but I can't really ignore it because it's changed. It's there. There's, there's a desire. I'll never be satisfied. Guys, I can run to the left or right. I've done stuff. I've chased money. I've chased jobs. I've chased whatever. But there's always this drawing back to God. There's always this, no, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. You're it. I only feel at home in the presence of God. I only feel at home in the worship and the adoration of God. I only feel like I am who I'm meant to be when I'm moving in His plans and His promises. Why? Because something changed within me. Like there was a heart that was changed. A heart of stone was gone and a heart of flesh. A heart that's aligned with God was put in. And that's what he does when we put our faith in him. That we get to know him. We get to love him, guys. Love, like to love him. I feel for someone here this morning, it's like, we need to, we, you need to get the love aspect of it. We need to capture it again. We need to remember our first love. I was reminded of like, like wedding vows during the week. You know where you promise to, like, to love, honor, obey, protect, those things. And, and, and if we have all the other stuff, right? If I, if I honor God... That seems like a good thing, yeah? If I'm honoring with my lips, I'm honoring with my life, that's brilliant, yeah? If I obey God, that's brilliant. Like, but, and, and, and if I respect God, that's brilliant. But, but if I don't love him, like if my heart isn't his, I've missed it. Like would we accept that from our spouse? Would, we accept, would I accept from Patrice that, yeah, she's going she's gonna to honor me. She's going to like sacrifice on behalf of me. We're going to work this thing out together. But really, I know in my heart, she doesn't love me. Would that be enough for me? Would that be what this is about? Or like me, would you say that there's something in it that's like, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. All that honoring, obeying, sacrifice, that's, that's nothing without love. That Yeah, if that's the overflow of love, then brilliant. But if we don't, if we don't have love, then, then we're just messing about. And that's the verses we read during worship. We're going to read them again because this is the way we can be towards God. Here's what I'm getting at with the marriage analogy is that, that Jesus, the church is called the bride of Christ. And when the wedding day comes, you want to come and say, yeah, we're going to honor you, God. We're going to obey you. We're going to whatever, but we don't really love you. Like our hearts aren't yours. We'll do stuff out of respect or out of fear or out of some sort of, I don't know, social construct or some sort of peer, positive peer pressure. or I don't know, but we don't, we don't really love you. Look, what are we chasing after, guys? Because all the other stuff comes with love. The incredibleness of love is that love produces what law can't. That love produces obedience. That love produces honor in God. That love produces these things. But if we try and do them without them, we've just missed the point. Paul gets it and he writes to the Corinthians about all the things that we might think look like the Christian life. All the things that we might put up there. If we had these in our services, if we had these in our life, we're doing great as like an A1 kind of Christian. If we had all of these gifts or these attitudes towards God, we're doing great. And he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and I don't have love, I'm only a resounding symbol, a resounding gong, a clanging symbol. Do you get what that's, what, Mac, what that's saying? It's like if I'm doing all the Christian stuff, if I'm speaking in tongues, if I'm prophesying, if I'm doing all that stuff, but I don't love God, it's like it's an insult to him. It's like I'm taking a symbol and just banging it in his face, just making noise, just like smashing it in his face, annoying him with, with this stuff, because he knows your heart is far from me. Let your tongues do whatever you want. Your heart is far from me. 
I've loved you and I'm calling you to love me. He goes on, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains and I don't have love, what am I? Nothing. Like, wait a minute. Like the, the, the criteria for whether I'm moving in the right direction isn't, uh, isn't the amount of faith I have. Surely this is all about how much faith I have, how much I believe in God. Surely this is all about how much I can prophesy, how many gifts of the Spirit I can manifest. Surely this is all about how reli- not how religious I look, but how on fire I look for God. And God's like, like, yeah, all of that stuff is amazing if it comes from love. If it doesn't come from love, then you're nothing. You have nothing. All the stuff you thought was gain is, is, is waffle. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but don't have love, I gain nothing. I mean, if I'm the most generous person in the world, if I empty my bank account on behalf of someone tomorrow and I live sacrificially and I suffer so that they can, they can have stuff and I, I'm always sacrificing on behalf of others, to the world I look great, to the world I look like a, like a real person who's put his faith into practice, to the world I have all this great stuff. But, uh, but to God, who looks at the heart, if that doesn't flow out of love, I have nothing. I am nothing. And then I want to finish with these verses that come after it. And they move us all in the direction of love. And I've preached from these before, right? But never from this perspective. A few weeks ago in prayer meeting, this penny just kind of like dropped in my head of what this could be speaking about. Because these last few verses, they're all speaking about our attitude towards God. And then when I've preached on all these, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not, whatever, all the rest of the stuff. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, right? Whenever I've preached on them before, I've preached on them this way. I've preached on them either as like our love towards one another. So are we patient to one another? Are we kind to one another? It's a measure of how we love each other. Brilliant, yeah? And then I've even preached on it as if God is love, then you replace love is what God is up there, yeah? And does that show you that this is how God is towards you? God is patient towards you. God is kind towards you, yeah? That God is not envious. That God doesn't boast. He's not proud towards you. Like, and I've preached that way. But what had never clicked to me before is that this is our responsibility for how we're meant to love God. In the nitty-gritty that God is a person and this is how... This is how we're meant to love him. And I just want to read through them in just the minutes that we have left. And and Holy Spirit, I ask as we do that uh, you would show us who it is that this God whom we love is. That you would be be here. And where we can't stand over any of these sayings in terms of how, how we've reacted to you or how we relate to you. I pray that you would just... I'm going to say gently, but don't even do it gently if you don't need to, Lord. Just, just put your finger on, on, on our heart, Lord. And, uh, and show it. Because, because, guys, can we say amen? We want to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, yeah? That, 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 that's what we want. That we want him to occupy that, that space in our hearts. And so, Spirit, as, as, we, read, as we read your word... Would your word carry weight and where these, these, these pinpoint out, Lord, aspects, areas where we need to grow in love, would we just be met by your grace this morning? Would we be met by that new heart that changes us from the inside out and that causes us, Lord God, to turn to you? Lord, if repentance is needed, we say that we want repentance. Lord, I don't want this moment to just be some lovey-dovey emotional moment, Lord God. If it needs to be something real, Lord God, of repentance, Lord, of anguish, even of grief, Lord God, I pray that you bring us to that. Because I want to love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. You said it's the most important thing, Lord. There's nothing else that's more important than it. So as we, as we look at this, Lord, would you do the work of a surgeon on our hearts and reveal to us where, Lord, we've been broken. Reveal to us where we haven't loved you in this way. And reveal to us the truth that you're lovable in all of these ways because you are perfect. 
if there's some way that we don't think we can love you on the board right now, that it's, uh, it's because we've ended up with a wrong view of you. And I pray that that would be corrected this morning by the power of your spirit who would open our eyes to, to see, to comprehend, to understand, to know, to experience the love of God and who you are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these guys and hope that the spirit does what I feel incapable of doing this morning. But here we go. Love is patient. Are you patient with God? Do you love God? Are you patient with him? Do you trust his timing? Do you find yourself impatient this week, today? Are you willing to wait on him? Are you willing to move at his pace to let him set the pace of your life? Love is patient. Are you patient towards God? Next one, love is kind. Are you kind to God? What's that even mean, Rob? I mean, are you, are you kind? Are you given in your relationship with him? Are you generous to God? with your affection, with the things at your disposal? Are you kind-hearted towards him or are you quick to blame God when things go wrong? Like what's, your, what's, what's, what's in the heart? What's your motivation? What's, your, what's the emotion that you feel as you step into the presence of God this morning or as you pursue him? It does not envy, it says. Satan's sin was wanting worship like God, was being envious of God. Are you willing to let God be God in your life and not want what it is, which is the lordship of your life? It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Guys, are you, are you proud when you come to him? Do you come to him with your list of things that you've achieved? Are you allowing that dysfunction in your relationship? Do you come to him like, here's the question, do you come to God like he owes you or do you come to God like he loves you? What's the basis of you stepping in? See, when you don't, here's how you recognize it if you, if you, if you come to God like he owes you. When you don't feel good enough, you don't come to him. When you feel you've messed up, you don't come to him. Why? Because you haven't built up enough stock for him to, to want you. So do you come to him like he owes you? Or do you come to him like he loves you? That love is not proud. Is your pride stopping you from coming to God? From getting close enough to love him? Or are you too proud to even admit that, uh, that you need him? Do you think I have it all sorted? I don't really. Other people need that God as a crutch. I'm, I'm doing all right. You're too proud to come to him because love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Do you honor God? And I don't just mean with your, with your lips. I mean, do you honor God with your obedience? Here's where obedience comes into this thing. Love does not dishonor others. How does your life look? How does your heart look? Is it, is it honoring to God this morning? Here's a big one. Love is not self-seeking. When you come to God, are you seeking things for yourself or are you seeking him? Do you want him for what he gives you or do you want him because he's, he's worthy? It's not self-seeking. Here's the question. Do you, do you love God this morning or do you just need him? Is God just the thing that you need to get over your troubles? Is God just the thing that you need to get over your whatever, whatever your patterns to get over your hurt? Or do you actually love the Lord? Do you come to him because you love him? Or you're only coming to him because you need him. Love isn't self-seeking. Love comes to God and says, I'm seeking you because I love you, Lord. I love you. I just want to be with you. I want to sing to you. I want to sing with you. I want to speak with you. I want to hang out with you. I'm not coming to seek myself. Or I'm not coming to seek the things that I need right now. I'm just coming to seek, to seek you. Love is not easily angered. Do you get angry with God easily? 
when things go wrong, is it, is it, is it God who you blame? Do you throw out like this, God, why did you do this? Is that quick to come off your lips? Are you easily angered? Do you easily like just throw your, your, your toys out of the pram? Ah, I've had enough of this when something goes wrong. Are you angry towards God? That's not love. Similar to that, love keeps no record of wrongs. When you get angry, do you pull up a list of all the other ways that God's let you down in the past? Or that you think God's let you down in the past? Are you just waiting? Is there a list there ready to go? And what about this thing? And what about this thing? And what about this thing? Have you kept the record of your perceived wrongs that God has done to you? That's not love. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, there's no evil in God. Jesus is the truth. Here's the question. Is your, is your relationship full of joy? Is there rejoicing in it? And David's like, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Like, what's our life? Is it like humdrum, boring, religious, go through the motion stuff? Or is there a vitality? Is there a joy in your life? When you come out of the presence of God, are you full of, of joy, of happiness? Is there a smile on your face? Is your countenance lifted? Is your spirit lifted? Because love with God produces joy in your life. It produces rejoicing in your life. If you've lost your rejoicing, perhaps you need to grow more in your love for God. It says, love always protects. Do you speak well of God? Do you speak up for God? When around the water cooler or around the office, people are slating God, slating, like God doesn't exist. When they're like, God is nothing, God is no. When you hear those things, do you protect? Do you stand up for him? Do you speak on behalf of him? Is there something in you when you hear God slander? It's just like, no, we can't do that. I don't need to stand up because I love this person. I wouldn't stand up for it any more than I would stand up if I heard somebody speaking bad about, about my wife or about my child. That's something to be a righteous indignation in me that would stand up and be right to, to counter that and say, no, love protects. Are we willing to be that? Love always trusts. Do you trust God? Because he's trustworthy. You can't, you can't have love without trust. Do you trust him? If you don't trust him, what are you trusting in? Where's that going to bring you? Love always hopes. Is your relationship with God full of, full of hope? Are you looking forward to the future? When you spend time with God, are you like, and thank you for your plans. Thank you for your purpose. Thank you that you're at the beginning and the end. Thank you that you know the end things. You know how all things are going to work out. Like, like does hope arise? Are you always hopeful for the world? Are you always hopeful for your family? Are you hopeful for your relationship? And it says it always perseveres, meaning it doesn't give up. It's not, it's not like only half in this thing. We give our hearts to God. It's like, I'm walking this race. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. There's a perseverance to going after this thing. It never fails. It's persistent and committed and tenacious. Are you quick to pack it in when things don't go wrong? Or are you going to be persistent in it? I'll pray, Spirit, that you would take this, this list these things, Lord, and not in a way of condemnation, but in a way of invitation, Lord, you would bring us into full experience, Lord, of what it means to love you with all our hearts, our soul, and strength. If we haven't been patient, if we haven't been kind with you, if we've been self-seeking or easily angered, if we've kept records of wrongs towards you, Lord God, if we haven't trusted you or hoped, Lord God, if we haven't persevered, Lord God, I pray that you would change our hearts from the inside out, Lord God. Dig up anything else, Lord God, and replace it with your love, Lord God. Spirit, this week, this day, even in these moments, Lord, would you bring us to repentance? Would you bring us to an awareness that we can love you perfectly, Lord, because you are perfect, Lord? 
that there's nothing wrong in you. There's no shadow in you, Lord God. So anything we explore of you, Lord, anything that we, we expose to your light, Lord, can be changed in it because you are our perfect Lord. I pray over your people, Lord. I pray that this week, even in this day, that you would, you would refresh that new heart in us, Lord.